What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And today is an episode of The Social Report. And The Social Report is a monthly bonus episode in conjunction with TrueFan, where we sit down and talk with some of the most interesting influencer and social media marketing news from the last month. As always, I am joined by Karen O'Brien and Scott Birdie. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jacob. Hey there. I'm excited. Again, I say this every month, but like these are always super fun for me. I like to just kind of sit down and chat about whatever we can find because it's usually so different. Um, And where I want to start today, I want to talk about a couple, I don't want to use the word TikTok clones, but we'll say TikTok inspired platforms that have been rolled out recently. And they're all, they're all unique in how they're being used. But so the first one is called bars and bars is Facebook's another, it was made by Facebook's um, R and D group called NPE team. And bars is essentially TikTok exclusively for rappers. And so there's like uh, different hip hop beats that'll be in there. Um, they have a thing and it's called challenge mode where they will throw random words up on screen and you have to incorporate them into your freestyles. So it's like TikTok exclusively for rappers. The other one is called fast laughs, which I think is probably, which is Netflix's TikTok esque mobile app that is centered specifically around comedy. So it's like clips from Netflix shows cropped to vertical where you can consume like a TikTok. And it's like best moments from sitcoms and comedy shows on Netflix. That one you're able to jump in from net from this app. You can add shows to your watch list. You can jump in and watch episodes. So there's some interesting utility with Netflix. Netflix is a fast laughs app. The other one is called Snack and Snack is a new dating app that's just recently launched. They just raised $3.5 million. I believe they're based out of Vancouver and it's essentially is TikTok and Instagram or yeah, tick, or TikTok and Tinder, sorry, had a baby. So you upload content similar to, from my understanding, I'm going to be interviewing the founder in the next couple of weeks. So I'll have more info then. But from my understanding, you upload content similar to a TikTok and when you like someone's video and they like yours, then it's a match. And so you get to showcase more of your personality and who you are through the videos. Um, but it's very much from my understanding, like a TikTok UI where it's the feed, it's not swiping, it's scrolling through videos. And I'm curious, like for, as far as I can remember, we haven't seen, and I, could, I mean, other than the feed, probably like Facebook feed, I don't think we've seen such aggressive copying of a style of content, like of showcasing the content so quickly like we've seen instagram or we've seen stories get taken from snapchat to instagram to uh, tiktok or to twitter and linkedin but i feel like that's been over the course of years versus tiktok's interface i feel like is being taken by so many apps so quickly now i'm curious what you think it is about tiktok that has every single brand trying to replicate it somehow i'm gonna just jump in and say a couple things right away i mean one i think it has a little less to do with TikTok, in fairness to TikTok, than it does to do with the uh, global and R&D power of these tech giants. Um, or also, I guess, like the, the power that the startup community now has, both with the backing of different tech giants, potential partners or whatever, um, and just VCs, angel networks, stuff like that. Uh, and two, um, I can't wait to start seeing TikTok videos of like the people who start to use that Snack app and meet up with people and sort of like uh, create a TikTok video of their meetup experience from Snack, if, if you will, of like, you know, this is, I, I could see a lot, I mean, I could quickly see that being kind of cannibalized by creators just for the purpose of like entertaining. Um, although I'm sure, you know, they'll have their own network of interested uh, singles, but I just feel like there's probably so many people that have kind of gotten internet famous from TikTok, but potentially had a lonely COVID experience um, pretty likely. So that could make for some entertaining content. That On that point, they're actually doing a, a contest right now. It's called like, they're doing like their own bachelor contest where TikTok and they partner with three or four TikTok influencers and you can win a date with them through the app somehow. And it's part of their like market campaign. And, and they've partnered with four creators who all have between three and 3.3 million followers. I think that's funny that you said that. I think the reason brands are trying to replicate that is because creators are the new viral influencer, particularly TikTok creators. So, you know, tapping into them is like tapping into Instagram influencers a few years ago. Yeah, I think we'll see. I mean, there's going to obviously be some iterations. uh, And you made me think of something at the end of your point, Karen, that is also the fact that 
I guess to some degree, and this isn't like in every case or every viral video on TikTok, but I would say, and this is really more on a hunch than like having some data in front of me to look at from four or five years ago, even further. But if like we were to look at a similar sort of inflection or a period of time from like when Instagram and TikTok kind of accelerated their user journey and like that that period uh, of time, I do feel as though TikTok has always been able to, like you've been able to siphon your audiences, let's say, or move your audiences to different platforms a little bit faster than you would have been able to on like Instagram, YouTube, and uh, places like that. And maybe Vine could be like the comparable place where like a lot of people seemingly were able to move audiences off of there. But that could equally by, be why now, I guess, is such a critical time for maybe the minds of these competitors is to say that like by jumping on the back of a few of these influencers, like you could take a pretty good shot at, you know, pushing an influx of new users into your app and, and just trying to grow it from there. Like it could just be the timing that they're after, I guess is what I'm getting at. But just my thought. I'm not really sure about the ideas themselves. Like, um, you know, a lot of them seem copycat in nature. I think going back, you mentioned a few ideas, but I don't even the, the hip hop idea. I could see that having some legs um, purely on the basis of like if it was done right. I know there's some interesting sub pockets of that culture where they're highly driven by like producers, let's say, and producers can kind of drive a lot of engagement from both artists, but also other producers because there's a large network of like interested and, and aspiring professionals kind of within that, you know, amateur scale of, of talent. And you know, I've seen on like Instagram and other social networks, they have like kind of a unique engagement and, and a way of sharing content. Like Ill Mind Producer comes to mind even on like how he was attempting to build a community on Twitch by like sort of introducing his like lap points or something as some sort of reward scheme through there. And so um, I do think that, you know, with including the right technology and I guess sort of audio, albeit like hooks and loops and things like that, that I'm not too familiar with, but I know are like kind of the general uh, frameworks behind a lot of those songs, right? Y you might be able to track more of that crowd. And by virtue of doing that, just create like a niche audience of people who are actually really interested in growing their own audience as an artist. Um, so that could be cool. And then to the Netflix one, I've been thinking about how much movies are now kind of in some way copywritten like on TikTok. Um, and how you can create some really unique content out of that. So I'm sure that's just Netflix kind of thinking about how can we start to own more of that content uh, and a bit of that customer journey maybe as well. A lot of platforms have tried to do vert vertical video or a better job of it, including Netflix for years. I feel like TikTok's one of the first, and I never thought about it until you mentioned it now. TikTok's probably one of the first platforms that I think's done it well. Like they've created the infrastructure for vertical video. Um, I've even seen some startup proposals where they wanted to start like the YouTube of vertical video and the commentary was sort of like, okay, so it's going to be crappy video. <laughs> but I think, I think the point is that TikTok created community, right? It's, it's really, yeah, vertical video is the way that people want to consume it on their mobile, but it's really that you want the community there. Yeah, actually, you even make me then think with vertical video about uh, the the KPIs at large for say like a Netflix, um, this is way less applicable to the other two apps, but for Netflix as somebody, or sorry, not somebody, but a company who's interest that's interested in movie making and coming out with the next hit, uh, there's a lot of data that gets lost and that like, especially right now, you know, nobody's really able to kind of get a handle on, on TikTok. And there is an interesting, I don't really know too much about this problem that exists in the, the studio making space, but I know that there's a couple of asset management uh, firms that are sort of working with one or two of the smaller studios right now on asset management solutions that kind of tie together like video, I guess, or to your point, Karen, like that's the main, that's the, their bread and butter, right? So like that production, they're trying to tie together scenes right back to things like the accounting and you know the cost of certain scenes and so equally if you started to tie together like information systems that also track you know that in line with sentiment from an app that has 
you have completely owned data streams coming in from the viewership and such or engagement. That's a lot of the stuff that they probably otherwise couldn't model with uh, TikTok right now. So actually, data kind of makes me think it's the reason for Netflix and just having an idea as to like what's going to drive the most engagement in two years as a title. And one thing too, I think someone mentioned early on, it was, it was also driven by creators and that's just where creators tend to be. And I believe, Karen, you wanted to bring up NFTs, which I think is going to, could dramatically influence the creator space as well. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm a bit confused still by NFTs. I mean, I know what they are, but I'm confused as to why people would pay such big dollars for them. I, I have to assume that when you purchase an NFT, and I guess for those people who are listening who don't know what it is, um, who have had their head in the sand for the last week, uh, NFT stands for non-fungible tokens, and they're part of the Ethereum blockchain. And they're basically digital collectibles, right? And so we've seen some insane numbers being paid for these digital pieces of art or collectibles. And um, it seems like the, every day I see something crazier and crazier. I have to think that when you're buying that, it's like you're licensing that piece of art to do whatever you want with it. So I still, I still think that's an open question, though. I've talked to a couple of attorneys. Like, if I buy somebody's digital art, can I monetize it? Can I put it on a T-shirt? Do I own it in perpetuity? And I don't think that's entirely clear. I was just wondering what you guys think about the whole trend. I, I mean, I was saying before, like, I feel like I'm not the most well-versed. So I feel like what I'm about to say might come across as someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. But like, I've heard the argument of, what's the difference between owning a NFT and just having a JPEG copy? And what I always hear is the rebuttal to that is, well, you can see with the NFT that you're the proper owner. And I'm like, that's great. But how many people are going to, when, if I post it, are going to be like, well, hold on, let me go and check and make sure you're the right owner of this photo that's only available digitally. And like, I just don't know like that's where my hesitation is. It's just like, it's collectible. You can track who owns it, which is, great but but like what is it i mean like i've from my understanding too like with the creators there's some interesting stuff with digital products where you always maintain some form of not ownership but like you get residuals once it gets sold over and over again so i see like there being some benefits from a collector standpoint i just i struggle with buy, why i would buy an nft of like for example the popular one is nba top shop i believe where it's like you can buy highlights highlight packages but like you could also just watch the highlights on youtube so i just struggle with why there's so much value being placed into them for just a purely collectible standpoint like i understand from a creator perspective with like actual products you can do stuff with it and there's really interesting things that you can do with that but from a pure collectible standpoint i'm just having a tough time wrapping my head around it there's some value uh, from going into YouTube and cutting up a, an 11 minute highlight package and down into one single highlight uh, that you can then own is, uh, I'm just, I'm in the same boat as you, Jacob, kind of like thinking about, I suppose, like the real why behind the increasing value, um, other than the fact that people are willing to pay and to some degree, you just have to look at markets, um, for sort of like an equal equivalent, you know, like why people were willing to pay. 300 and something dollars a share for GameStop only days after it rose from 13 or whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't know enough to really comment. I guess as a, an uneducated consumer, potential consumer, I haven't bought any yet. Although a couple friends who like the NBA have not tried to sell me on it, but given me some reason to think about doing it now as opposed to, you know, a year or two from now. Um, when the money that you can make might be lost or who knows really at that point is just the uncertainty of like, yeah, that's great. But you know, in terms of the ownership, like I, I don't really know when you were talking about merchandise, you know, what, what this is going to mean for things like that. And um, really any form of like reselling of that property, Karen and people I would be asking, I suppose, would be like a, the owner of an NHL or an NFL or NBA team as to like, how do you feel about the cannibalism of, you know, like your logo by, see, you know, over the years, I don't know how many companies must might have done it for like the NBA as an example, but like, there's got to be so, so many out there that are known and even a lot out there just globally that are unknown making uh, and printing those types of logos. So 
I don't really know. You know, those teams are still valued at a pretty high clip and like um you can still sell a t-shirt with the logo at sport check for like forty dollars which is going to be more than you know it costs on like a corner or uh, an illegal vendor but <laughs> i guess i'll leave it here like i when you were <laughs> saying right at the start when you started talking Karen, it seems to be getting crazier each and every day i just put in like nft news on google and i saw like a couple things by the guardian one of them saying digital home sells for five hundred thousand dollars in latest nft sale and the digital home looks nothing more than like a 3d cutout from the sims if you ask me but i don't know maybe that's uh somebody's interest or like future like elon wants to go to mars who knows i was reading about william shatner has sold some nfts and one of them was an x-ray of his teeth i mean i guess you could you could actually sell anything as an nft literally anything mm-hmm. well someone just bought the first tweet ever or something like that Oh, cool. That, that's interesting. That's a nice digital. That's going to make, make people start thinking, actually, that stuff, too. Um, but yeah, it will open up a nice passive income stream for creators and influencers, to your point earlier, Karen. Big part of the economy, I guess, what will make it. Could be crazy, though. I mean, I just I just don't know where it's going. Um, I'm sure that every day we're going to see something crazier and crazier. But like, for example, with the first tweet that was sold what would someone do with that like could they literally i mean there is a company right that puts tweets on coffee mugs and merch you know could could they could someone take that tweet and do something with it i don't know what would they do i was listening to the my first million podcast i think is this is where they talked about it and they said how like there's a market right now for creating frames for your nfts so like digital frames so your artwork can like rotate or pop up or like your NBA highlights can play through and like that way you can display your NFT so there's still that like physical real world collectible value to it um but other than that like I don't know like it, maybe to own a piece of of internet history I guess you could say like for like Buster Sharer who I believe we all know recently bought like a check or something signed by Abraham Lincoln so I feel like it's a similar thought process where it's like you could as to why someone would want the first to be, I think just for the historical significance. Um, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I mean, I also struggle like, I'm not really a collector. So, and I feel like I'm very much missing the boat on the whole collector movement right now, which is part of the reason probably why I'm not getting it a ton. Well, it makes me feel hopeless that we're ever going to be back in real life again. It's like, we're okay. We're basically going down this NFT route. Everything that we're collecting now is going to be digital. So therefore we have to display it digitally. I don't know. And is it is the idea that like a JPEG could never get uh, ruined or like could it fall into like non mint quality or mint condition type thing? I, I was thinking about like cards as the you were talking about collectibles and like maybe the closest comparison from that side of things, like a a card that's in perfect condition versus like what could something happen to a JPEG or if it was like misframed, like it, wrong frame, it just significantly devalued it or something. I don't know. I have no idea. That's another good question. <laughs> I don't have an answer to. I feel like also there might be a market for NFTs with brands. So similar to how, you know, we've seen some unconventional things happen with Elon, for example, buying Bitcoin and so many other examples lately where certain really unexpected things have happened with brands. I'm wondering if that's a route that brands could take. Well, the NBA has. I mean, yeah. NBA Top Shop, I guess, right, is a good example. And NFL could probably do that pretty easily, like NFL Films or... Another example I saw, I think Zach Honover posted this on his Instagram story. He's yesterday's manager and he was posting how you can tie exclusivity with the exclusivity of your NFT, you can give it benefits. So for example, that he gave was Drake can release Drake coins. And if you buy one of Drake's Drake coin NFTs, you could get early access to his album. And because it's on the blockchain, because you know there's only a certain quantity of them, you can buy you 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 can't like copy the NFT and someone else can get access because it's on the blockchain. You know exactly who can and can't access the album for early listening. Wow, that is pretty cool. Is there like a cost to getting one of those made, or like if you were Drake, like? Is there a process that you know of? Not, not that I know. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like, like I just read that in an Instagram story. Like, I feel like I need to take some time to yeah. dedicate to to research NFTs. But like, because I feel like it, 
because like I don't know if I mean I'm sure you both may have seen this somewhere, but Gary V's like really hyping NFTs is like this is the next wave. Like he was there with internet marketing back in the late nineties. He was there with socially saying NFTs is the next thing. Um, so I feel like I just got to take the time to research it. Cause to, to your point, it's in the news everywhere right now. Like I can't log on a social network without t- people talking about NFTs. Clubhouse has like 18 million NFTs <laughs> operating at all times. Maybe we need uh, some listeners to drop some comments. Uh, some of the craziest things they're seeing showing up as nfts or what's your favorite nft that you've purchased so far <laughs> like my friend uh he explained i think it was like a damian lillard highlight or something point guard of portland trailblazers and he bought a highlight that was like 250 or something and the value of it's risen to like 1300 wow it's been a very short period of time <laughs> not even an nba season has concluded but anyway pretty like you know money's there to be made we're gonna be talking about it i uh i've Spend some time looking at the NFT marketplaces. So OpenSea, Rarible, that's sort of where I spent my time. And it's it's like a bottomless pit. I mean, you will spend so much time looking at very interesting, cool stuff, but it's shocking how much is out there. Some of it I understand, some of it I don't. Like there's one, I can't remember what it's called. It's called like Crypto Kids or something like that. Or It's like, I don't know. There, I don't know, there's some I've seen that I don't understand. I know Beeple sold for millions of dollars, but he like did a photo a day for like 10 years or something, like a design a day, and he sold all of them for like multiple millions of dollars. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's interesting. You, you were talking about David Dobrik and how, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure the specifics around this, but there's something going on in the media right now, and he's caught up in a bit of a saga or a PR scandal. Um, so would this be an example of like, if David Dobrik had gotten into NFTs or something, I don't know, maybe sold that photo of him posting Tesla and someone could have purchased that as like the first Tesla given. Would that, you would expect now that this would be, the value of it would be on the decline, right? Like that's yeah. kind of like the market, like having, you have like the negative news. Because of PR right? like, nightmare? You, maybe. I don't know this for sure, but um, you can explain what happened to Dave if you want, but I. I was just thinking it was like, that's probably a a good example of somebody who could have really heightened the value of any NFT that he decided to like throw out there. And then shit, like, you know, if something happens to that person in the news, uh, (laughs) that could be uh, an investment that's not looking like it is anymore. And kind of on that note, and I will will touch on the David Dobrik stuff, but I think when NFTs first really started to like make the news is when Logan Paul dropped his. That's when I first heard about it. And then I felt like the next two three days it was all i saw was nft and it hasn't stopped and so i feel like with a creator of his size getting into it i think he made like a couple million dollars in a matter of hours because he dropped like his own logan paul digital trading card and then sold like i think like he sold only a couple thousand of them but sold them for thousands of dollars each and literally made a couple couple million dollars like overnight um so i've seen to that point i've seen two filter reported that he sold five million dollars worth of nfts as of Feb 22nd. Uh, 1 million of NFTs is 30 minutes after dropping them. Not bad. Shopify might want to get on NFTs. And, the, and then there's like, how do you, like, I know because on the blockchain, you can't regulate it. So it's like, how do you know what's a credible NFT? How do you don't? Like, that could also tie back into my lack of knowledge of the blockchain and everything. But like, how do you know where to buy from is another question that like, I, I, I well, don't know. Well, Karen was just mentioning there's the marketplaces, I think. Like, there's... That's what happens in that. Like now that there is that much money, there needs to be like, not necessarily regulated, but like to some degree credible marketplaces where you can put your money. Oh, it's going to be ripe with fraud. For real. It was, it's kind of like the early days of Bitcoin, right? Like I was always afraid. I never invested in them. I wish I did, but like, it, I was always like kind of curious. I was like, where do you go? You can see, for example, like with artwork, you know, unless it's 100% originally created, there can be mashups of other people's images and just even putting celebrity images in some of these things, or even if you were technically the author because you have captured a photo or you've captured a video of a celebrity. I I just see it being so ripe with potential for lawsuits and fraud. But on that point with the blockchain from my understanding, because there's no actual governing body or owner, if you sold like an NFT of a celebrity who didn't want their, like if you took a photo of them and then sold it and they wanted it and they didn't want you to do that and they want it taken down, like 
I don't, is there a way where you can remove it from the, like, I don't know, like from a privacy standpoint, how do you protect against that? If someone's uploaded something as an NFT that you don't want out there? I don't think existing privacy or transfer laws support this kind of sale. I think there's going to be a lot of issues. True. A lot of gray area. Uh, but before I get into the David Dobrik thing, Scott, I know you had a story you want to talk about. I can talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of had this question pop into my head um, as we're now like a year after the initial uh, home push of COVID outbreak and stuff. And I suppose in the U.S. it's great to hear that as many vaccines are finding their way to the people as they are. But um, Canada, we're still slow moving, I would say, right now. Um, nonetheless, we would all like to have our vaccines, but while these sorts of like conditions are going to be ever prominent, um, and like sports are still having to take extra precautions around how they're running events, every major event, uh, is still kind of up in the air on like, you know, whether it's in person online or what they're planning for the future. Um, I think it's interesting to think about like whether it's endorsements or whether it's just influencers, um, and like organic content partners how brands can think about i guess getting that extra earned media um with sort of low cost guerrilla influencer marketing strategies uh, that can earn you that sort of reach organically um, and really just as a result of kind of like pure interests or the wantingness of certain influencers to really just entertain their audience um as part of who they are and the reason i sort of thought about this question or just kind of thought of like hey how should and how can brands be thinking about that extra earned media um, from influencers is surfing is getting back to uh, sports or getting back to competition, I should say, uh, come April 1st. And they initially, after a year off, started in Hawaii. Uh, Their second event was canceled after the first one ran in December as a result of, you know, kind of rising cases and yada, yada, yada. But they finally worked out an agreement with Australia where like, all the surfers, like 32 or something like that on tour, they fly in at the same time on this like same Qantas flight from California and all go into quarantine because Australia does it like really, really clean. Different rooms, 14 days, you can't come out at this one spot. And so naturally you had like 14 surfers not doing their sport in a room, basically going crazy for like 14 days. And a lot of these athletes are backed by like, brands and sponsors and such like that so billabong decided that they'd basically just put a cardboard cutout like this is from what i gather and i'm I'm sure billabong you know had a little bit of insight into what might come from this but if you go check out these videos and jacob you can post them in the the description but like two instagram videos that were posted certainly got way over a hundred thousand views and it's a similar community so you're reaching people multiple times with kind of like a similar type of funny entertaining video that's coming like directly from these athletes that's just like goofy one of them being the world champ and it's essentially a cardboard cutout of an older surfer with like a mullet and i think in the gear he's rocking like either like a new billabong wetsuit or like a new billabong uh what do they call them board shorts there so he's like advertising product and it's kind of like a whole little like you know make fun but laugh with type of ordeal and giving something to do in the room for the athlete. Um, it seemed to work out brilliantly in like Billabong's case. And I noticed surfing as something that I'm always paying attention to and where brands are always just kind of needing to go above and beyond to like stand out in any way. Uh, and that to me, just based off of the engagement it attracted on their pages in comparison to normal, was pretty substantial. Um, and if you consider that it might have only cost whatever it did to like print that cardboard, cardboard cutout, uh, it's pre- I mean, that's pretty good, right? Like, Karen, you tell us. Like, you're, you're the marketing exec here. What do you think about it? good execution? I think it's a brilliant campaign. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, it's taking advantage of, you know, the lockdown, people's love of surfing, and their inability to get out and out and do that. I think it's brilliant. It I, and the content was really fun and engaging. So I loved it. My, so my question is, they don't have to clarify them as ads right because it's not a paid endorsement it was from like this is totally from what i gather and that's kind of what prompted the the larger question is like how where do you start as you're sort of thinking about like hey so 
you know, say our influencers are dealing with such and such a circumstance, like how can we sort of like give them a way to, I don't know, something to do, let's say, but also like entertain their audience. And it was definitely not an ad, I don't think, because I dug a little bit deeper from what I understand. So the surfer that was the cardboard cutout, like this older guy, he's definitely still backed by Billabong. He's like one of those kind of like historical figures in surfing that has like a weird, maybe slight sponsorship or is just like employed by them to do a couple like podcast shows and things like that. Um, and I think they may have done a couple posts where like he challenged them, but it didn't appear to me like it was any sort of challenge. I don't think like either of the surfers posted it in that way. And two of the people out of those four that were tagged also didn't post anything. So it wasn't like a, this wasn't sort of like a contract piece or something like that. Right. And I don't, th- I don't know why it would have been if you see the content footage be crazy to think that you're signing athletes um dependent on the fact that they're going to produce a video like this but like this is just totally like you stick something in the person's room i don't think anybody else could even be in their room technically so they filmed it themselves on tiktok yeah i think why like why i liked it so much is it was just very it was like as authentic as it can be you know what i mean like it's influencer marketing but it's still authentic and where my where i asked about the whether it was like an ad or not is because yes, it's influencer marketing, but it's not a paid sponsorship and they're doing it of their own fruition, which is why it's so effective is because there was no ulterior motive to it. It was literally just like, I am beyond bored in this hotel room. This is something to distract you for the next like hour. And I just think this just, so to your point with grill marketing, it's just like, how can you make it that it's authentic? Cause you don't want to force it. Yeah. That it all kind of had to do with authenticity for me. Um, but it's interestingly like, how you sort of spark that, I guess. Um, and thinking right now, both about like that current situation of the influencer, but I suppose too, the situation of everybody else and like how there's some sort of, even though you've not had a cardboard, cardboard cutout like left in your room and you probably never met like Mark Ocalupo or whatever that guy's name is, um, you've felt like alone or trapped inside and like you've had nothing to do at times probably throughout the last year or whatever and i'm and i'm sure like in some way like the surfers know that they've been experiencing that connection or engagement from their audience too so it's like hey just another way that you can engage with your audience but also do something and i guess like the broader question for me thinking about it it's like there's a lot of goings on in people's lives and i think that's often where people first look as how they can align an influencer with like an upcoming product launch or something like that. But I think like the brands who are thinking a bit of a step further, like for example, um, I'll just try to think of something based off of something that I've heard recently. San Diego, uh, by the sounds of it, has like a drive-in opportunity for vaccines, like where you can just drive in. And I think you do have to like sign up still or be on some sort of list, but you get to watch a movie or is well, it just I mean, a movie vaccine? could be one, you know, opportunity or like a trailer, right? If you like <laughs> had that set up, like just ways of kind of creating, that would be probably organic content and like spurring, you know, that shareable moment um, across a community of people. Uh, but just like ways that you can. In- Gary Vee would say you have their attention, right? Right. Like create that memorability and sort of experience right now when nobody is sort of witnessing that thing in their everyday life, even on social media, like you just don't see that that often. Um, And, you know, it's not an easy question to answer, but that's why I kind of thought it was like a worthwhile question is there's still going to be a, you know, a long, probably one to two year effect of just different processes and things that people are having to go through as a result of the times. Um, And, you know, masks, I'd say were probably the first thing that everybody jumped on. I was like, yeah, I just need a brand mask. But it's like, now how can you go like three, four, five, ten steps further? And as a brand, you know, even have that result in some earned media where like the world champ, I, I was looking back to his Instagram. He barely gets, you know, 500 comments on a post. He got like 2,300 there. Um, it's starting conversation. Like, you know, that's what you want to see. And I thought it was interesting, too, because whenever I think of guerrilla marketing, I always think of it like in public somehow. You know what I mean? Like you do something crazy stunt in public and that's where my brain always defaults to when you think of guerrilla marketing. So this was extra interesting because they pulled it off just with one person in a hotel room. I thought that was super cool. Fill us in. 
How's David's life falling apart? David Dobrik. So I mean, like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on like the specific David Dobrik situation. I'll kind of give like a little bit of a TLDR and like I myself, like I've watched some videos, I've read some articles, but there's just so many moving pieces that I'm definitely not going to cover it all here. But so it's all kind of, it all started from my understanding was being driven by the H3H3 podcast, which is Ethan Klein, um, Ila Klein. And then they also now do podcast with Trisha Paytas who used to be part of the vlog squad and they started doing like I don't want to call them expose or hit pieces but they started interviewing people who have since left the vlog squad and why they left the vlog squad and so there was just conversation around it being culty there was some like just you felt like you had to go along with it because it was just like your career kind of depended on being involved in this group and if you left like they could negatively impact you and so you just kind of put up with all the negative things that were happening whether it be like being made fun of there was allegations where one of them was a sexual assault where one one guy was asked to kiss a girl in a gorilla suit but they swapped out a girl for a 45 year old guy and then they ended up kissing and he didn't know about it and it was like jokes on you but then i heard somewhere that he was actually in on the joke but he said he wasn't in on the joke so that was a whole thing and so it was already kind of like a bunch of questionable stuff was coming out but then these serious allegations dropped from insider where there was um a rape happened when they were filming one of their videos it was a bunch of, I think it was five girls came over and it wasn't David. It was one of his friends who David had since distance since 2019. This happened back, I believe in 2018. Um, and so, and then there's all these allegations of like, did they know, did they not know one of the girls was underage and she was so drunk she couldn't walk. And it was like, there's a bunch of, I'll link some stuff down below so people can kind of get more on like, learn more about what's happening. Uh, David uploaded a second, his first apology video was very much like, PR speak like his lawyers wrote this and he uploaded it to his smallest channel that he only just launched a couple months ago. He put out a full like by himself seemed a little bit more authentic on his main channel now with more followers. Um, but where I wanted to kind of bring this conversation with, with YouTube as more so on the brand side, because because of all these allegations, everything that's happening, we're seeing David Dobrik lose sponsorships left and right. We're seeing other people that get mentioned lose sponsorships left and right as brands are reacting to this, David has his own app called Dispo. His investors are now distancing themselves from the company. They're kind of stepping away. My question to you on this is more so in terms of the, as from a brand side, how do you properly research creators to try and get around this? Cause prior to this point, like I feel like David Dobrik was like the key, the number one influencer you wanted to work with. Cause he drove results. He was great to work with, but now we're seeing all this stuff happen and brands are scrambling and trying to distance themselves from him. So how do you as a brand make sure you're partnering with someone that you don't think so like you don't want, cause you don't want to tie yourself to someone who's going to bring negative news towards your brand. So how do you research a creator before working with them? I can tell you from the brand side, you know, you do a lot of diligence, the bigger, the influencer or creator, the more money you're spending, the more risk, Potentially, right? So you you really want to make sure that you're aligning yourself with someone whose brands align with the values of the brand itself. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think I think you can only do so much diligence. And I know that most brands, including myself, when I was on the brand side, would put ethics clauses within our contracts. Right? If if certain things happen, we have the ability to say we're no longer going to be sponsor. Um, and you, ha you have to have that. Would that be a sort of breach of contract, uh, that would require the return payment or anything like that, Karen, or just more of like a instant breach? I mean, I think in really bad situations, I, I had one instance where there was a professional athlete that I was at a brand we were in a sponsorship with, and she was, she was accused of domestic abuse and, and went to court. You know, there was some some really, really horrific charges against her. And yeah, you end up cutting ties as I don't know if if the brand would claw back money, but certainly they would end the sponsorship. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I you know, when it comes to research, there's obviously just countless things you could do and probably countless time you could spend doing it. I, Aaron mentioned, you know, the more spend, the more I'm sure that that's going to result in time and effort or cost of. Uh, doing the appropriate research but i think like to some degree or even just to think about a flip side of the coin a little bit um i think it's always what 
like a news source, like you really have to do your best to uncover the truth. And like you, uh, in the world of like influence, I think the higher you go, it's likely that you're going to hear more across the sources that you reach just in terms of like reputation, what they've experienced, heard, et cetera, et cetera. Um, somebody was, a friend of mine was recently talking to me about a situation where, I forget her first name, uh, Miss Mulrooney, like uh, the wife of that guy who's on E! News in Canada, who is the son of former Prime Minister Mulrooney. Um, oh, Ben Mulrooney? Yeah, it's Ben Mulrooney and his wife. I, I, I should search it up on Google right now just to get that right. But she was part of a show or a talk show from what I gather on, uh, if it was CBC or CTV, one of those news networks. Anyways, uh, she had been involved in some sort of back and forth over direct message uh, with an influencer and the influencer, from what I understand, kind of exposed a piece of the messages. I'm just kind of going through part and part of the story for the point. But after it was exposed, it, it was eventually found out that like what was sent or what was kind of like publicly exposed by this influencer really made it appear as though like this woman kind of had no um, respect, let's say, or uh, interest in actually providing an honest response or actually communicating about a certain subject or and i think this actually involved uh supporting like the black led groups and and sort of these missions about um black equality that were going on and and really insinuating the fact that like hey she should be doing more as one of those people and so it was a sort of assassination assassination of character um type of attempt that was later deemed that by the courts following when she had been dropped as one of the talk show hosts for one of those major networks. So the fact is that I'm getting at here is like, even as certain things develop, I think like a lot of times brands may jump uh, to make certain decisions too. So like, it's not a surprise to hear that brands are dumping David, even if they maybe don't know the full extent of these allegations or like what, what the truth boils down to largely in part because of what Karen said, like if that's in any way, breaching their values or something like that then they may just look at that as it's not really worth the risk of like how we'll have to turn a flip side of it and and really speak to why we support david through something like that right if like if it's that big of an influencer and in in her case you know she ended up going and getting that ruled in court where it was actually an assassination of character by on behalf of that influencer and you know, she was actually going out of her way. I think it was because at the end of an episode, she shared an MLK quote that initially kind of sparked this little um, debate. And anyways, I, I guess my point just being, it's just, it's really difficult for brands one way or another to get down to the root cause of like after the fact uh, or before, because you really never know what's going to happen and who may be involved in these sorts of kind of information scandals. It just becomes a, the bigger the person, like the more opinions are shared, I think, right? And I think what constitutes brand safety, you know, or acceptable, unacceptable behavior in a sponsorship, really, there's a spectrum of it, really depends on your brand and your agreement with the person that you are sponsoring. But I, I, I can tell you that it is a difficult road to go down when you have a, an influencer that really fails in some way to sort of live up to their own values, even if it's perception. Um, it's it's very difficult for the sponsor. And how long, like, because I, I fully expect, for lack of a better word, like, David, he's taking a break from social media altogether right now. But, like, how long until brands start to sponsor him again, do you think? Because the allegations, the earlier ones, the sexual assault with the prank in the video and um, making fun of someone who had dwarfism who was part of their group, that, like, he was involved in that. But the other one is someone else in their vlog squad group. And it's a bunch of, I don't know if conjecture is the right word, but everyone is, did David know, did David not know is kind of the debate right now. Um, but how long do you think until brands repartner with him, if that's something they do at all? Depends how big it gets and how long it takes to kind of die down, I think. And if he is able to respond to it effectively. That's fair. I mean, I'm just curious because it's never like from a brand's perspective, it's I've never had to deal with a creator who's in the news for such negative reasons. So I was just curious with your experience, kind of what that's like. You know, one part that adds complexity to this for David would be the fact that, like, he's not exactly been, uh, well, there's always been kind of transparency into 
quote unquote like his life or relationships with like a lot of the videos um and like there's been a lot i don't know this for sure i haven't watched enough but like even just from watching your documentary i know there was obviously that video that really blew up um where he shared he basically broke up or shared about the breakup during the video um type thing like that and then they did that and people could see you know how you could be friends uh post breakup and he gained a lot of traction and followers because of that but then you know obviously you take you fast forward until now and that video in itself obviously has some sort of weird feelings around it i'm sure uh or at least different feelings than maybe it did weeks ago and equally you would know this jacob but is it with like the recent podcast has it been with his girlfriend or is that woman who's like on the sports illustrated cover i know they work together like fairly often i think it was the views podcast like is that with her and there's been some things where like they talked about like their like they talk pretty openly about stuff and that i mean which isn't to say i'm not saying this is a bad thing at all but like the more you sort of open up about that stuff i mean the more you kind of have to question about like where's the in tent coming from for that like is it purely because everybody wants to talk about it or is it like you know is there sort of like driving views or i don't know and it's tough like again like i didn't want to speculate on it because it's a lot of like going back and forth i mean yeah it's just it's still it's an it's a developing situation i'll say that and it's just i completely understand i think brands should be dropping david right now and all the other people that are involved it's it's just it's gonna. I think we're not done. I think there's still a lot that's gonna come out around this. But, anyways, yeah. um, I'll link things down below if people want to watch the apologies and all the videos that are down there. Uh, but did either of you two have anything to talk about before we jumped off here today? Just one more thing. Talking of ethics and posturing, um, I've heard rumors that Donald Trump is going to reemerge on social with his own social network. Oh. Um, Question, would either one of you join that network just to see what it looks like? No. No. I am my life is so much better in the last two and a half months. <laughs> I just like on the pure risk of what are they gonna do with your data? Even like I don't know. I'm curious. I would be curious, but I, I think I just I don't know if I could cross that line. I, I just don't think I could go. You know, there. to your point though, that is a really good question to just ask because we're I mean, we're up here in Canada. We have a little <laughs> mean reason to want to even understand like what's going on behind the curtain there um there's seven well what was the count like 72 75 million americans or something like that that voted for this guy so like yeah. clearly he's gonna have a decent turnout when he launches it and i'm sure out of the you know, 100 million plus that didn't that live in the country like there's gonna be a lot of people who just had interest like you mentioned about like what is going on there like i kind of want to know what his evil nature is up to um let us know if you find out i you know as a social marketer i absolutely should join every single social network i feel to see what it's like but i don't know if i can go there i did read that news coverage volume has been dramatically decreased right since he's no longer been in office because sort of like on a daily basis of what crazy thing is he going to tweet about today. Um, I just, I don't want to live in that world again. I mean, to your point though, I think it's going to do well with all of his fan base. That's going to, that's going to flock to it. But I also think we're going to see some of the left flock to it. One out of curiosity, but two out of like a combative oh, yeah. nature. I you feel think like. so? I think so. And I feel like, because I feel like a lot of people just love to argue about politics and that if that's like a Trump social network, like you can start a fight, start an argument, just probably very easily if it's an app designed for almost one side of the political spectrum and you have people coming in from the other side. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely not going to get on it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. I, I Can you imagine like that might be the most toxic job ever being the community manager on that social network? I guess they'd have to be passionate republican or something still but even still you're still gonna be facing daily you know trolling from you know people who are anti-trump or what have you mm -hmm. or maybe you're like whack-a-mole and you're just blocking them i don't know i mean social media is a dark place it's extra dark <laughs> when it's trump's social for sure but you think it'll be successful I, success is an interesting word to use i don't know about using the word success um it depends what that is defined by. Users, are they going to attract users? Probably. 
can't really deny that. But like as an app or as a social network, I don't really know if they'll find success. Will they attract advertising? Yeah, I think like it could be like brands that back Trump to some in some way or brands whose CEOs or owners or founders back Trump. I think so. I mm-hmm. think they'll attract advertising for sure. I think when you just look at like but 75 million people, I think someone said is how many people voted for Trump. Like there's going yeah. to be people who are entrepreneurs within that community that will definitely advertise. I mean, to your point, Jake, like Jacob, if you had some advertising dollars and you were the general manager or whatever you want to call it for one of those hotels that just basically leases Donald Trump's name. Although I don't want to see money getting funneled into an app like this, like you kind of be stupid not to test that marketplace out for that ROI and see how many people you can start driving back into that hotel, right? Am I wrong or? I don't think you're wrong. It's like anything with Trump's name on it, you might as well take a bit. <laughs> Everything else, that comes with the the last conversation that we were just talking about with like, well, you know, if those are public companies, there's records of that somewhere and there's a likelihood that that information is eventually going to be leaked. So you better be prepared for the <laughs> the PR explosion that could happen after that. We'll see in April, I guess, or May, you know, then the next couple of months is predicted to have some sort of a launch. So we'll, we'll see. No, maybe we'll, we'll talk about it in, in a couple of months on the social report season, give a little update to it, but, uh, but no, as always, thank you both so much for your time on the social report. It's always a blast. Like I say every month, but I want to, as usual, give you the floor, where can the people find you plug anything and everything you got right now. Find me by spelling my last name. And first name. <laughs> but find Karen first. Karen O'Brien. And Bond B. Uh, Bond Jane Bond. Bond on, yeah, on Twitter and Instagram. And true fan. Awesome. As always, I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so people can find it. And I want to thank you once again for taking time to be on this podcast. And I want to thank everybody for listening, whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking time to check this out. Do me a big favor. Go follow Scott. Go follow Karen. Like I said, I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so you can find it. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me on social media at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.